So I'm excited about a new year. Uh, I'm excited, always excited for that. Uh, it feels like a fresh start, even though, you know, it's just another day. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm a fan of New Year's resolutions. Anybody made one uh, for this year? Okay, uh, one person and one half of a person. And uh, I, I like them. Um, there is this kind of, you know, uh, negative connotation to them that you, everyone gives up on them. Um, but I'm, I, this year, I wanted to overcome that. I wanted to make sure that I made a goal I knew that I could stick to, make a resolution that I knew that I could stick to. Um, so I just went, you know, what, what's in the realm of reality? So this year I've resolved to not exercise. And I feel like I'm really going to keep that this year and it's something I can build on too. So if I make it this year, next year maybe I'll like not exercise for five years and see how well I do for that. So I'm really excited about New Year's. Uh, one thing you might not have let, noticed about this past year that maybe flew under your radar, and it's kind of sad, is that our U.S. Surgeon General, Vivek Murphy, Mur Murphy with a T-H, not a P-H, um, declared us in, in, in U.S., he declared a loneliness epidemic because a lot of people are really struggling because they've been very isolated and they're feeling lonely, they're feeling disconnected, they're feeling like they don't matter, like um, what, they, what they're doing isn't making a difference, and if they were to die today, that everyone else's life would go on just the same. And he, he came up with this 80-page advisory that's full of all sorts of different research that shows the effects that loneliness and isolation has on a person's life. And as you can imagine, it affects us uh, emotionally and mentally. It, it affects our performance as well. Um, what he sh some of the, the research he's shown has, uh, has shown that it's associated with increased risk for anxiety and depression, which you, you might guess. And, but dementia is another one too. And uh, loneliness and isolation are also associated with lower academic achievement and worse performance at work, but it doesn't just affect our minds and our behaviors. It also affects our even our bodies as well. Um, it's shown that uh, la lacking social connection can increase the risk for premature death as much as uh, as much as smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Um, it's been shown that it's that poor or insufficient social connection is associated with a 29 percent increased risk of heart disease and a 32% increased risk of stroke. And it's also shown that the lack of social connection uh, may, may actually increase susceptibility to viruses and respiratory illnesses. So it affects our mind, it affects our behaviors, it affects our bodies, and it's something that's not just happening to a small segment of the population. There's a lot of people that are suffering from this. In 2022, a study showed only 39% of adults in the U.S., said that they felt very connected to others. So there's a lot of people who don't feel very connected to others. And um, in the U.S., stress-related absenteeism attributed to loneliness, so when people are stressed because they're lonely and miss work, it costs employers an estimated $154 billion annually. And loneliness and isolation are more widespread than many of the other major health issues of our day, including smoking, diabetes, obesity, and with comparable levels, uh, the, those have comparable levels to, uh, loneliness has comparable levels of risk to health and premature death to all these other things that I just mentioned. So it's, it's affecting a lot of people, and it's affecting them in a serious and significant way. So Dr. Naomi Wei, 
who is a developmental psychologist who works at New York University, has spent decades doing research, and I saw an interview with her re uh, recently, and she kind of summed up the, the problem, or the root of the problem, what's causing this, in a statement she made in this interview. And first part of what she said was this, we live in a culture which is out of sync with our nature. We live in a culture which is out of sync with our nature. So, as to put it in sort of a Christian way, um, our culture doesn't provide what God designed us to thrive on. Our culture doesn't provide what God designed us to thrive on. It doesn't promote it. It doesn't encourage it. It doesn't celebrate it. It doesn't incentivize the things that we were designed to thrive on. It's like having a chocolate diet, right? Maybe that sounds like really great at first. For some of you, that sounds like heaven. But of course, if you keep doing that for a while, it's, it's not what you were designed to thrive on. And our culture, according to Dr. Naomi Way, is set up in that manner. So what is our nature? If a culture is uh, we, we can, we'll talk about what, what our culture is in a second, but let's talk about what our nature is. And uh, in the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, when it talks about how God created us, it reveals something important to us about our nature, about what we're like, about how we were designed and how we, and how we thrive and, and what sort of things cause us not to thrive. It, it, and we learn it from a point in the Bible that, that describes the very first problem that ever Existed. So when you read the first book in the Bible, when you read Genesis, the first chapter, it gives this narration of how things were created, and there's sort of a literary rhythm to it. It says things like, uh, God created the light, and he saw that it was good. God created the land and sea, and he saw that it was good. God created the, pl uh, the plants and the trees, and he saw that it was good. Uh, he creates and sees that it's good. He creates good things. Um, and he keeps creating all this stuff until he gets to a point. And he says, I, I need like a crowning achievement. I need to put a kicker on this for the whole shebang. You know, I need to make something really excellent. And so what he does that fulfills that purpose is he creates humanity. He creates a man. And how does he do that? How is he going to make this extra special? Well, it describes it, uh, describes that in Genesis 1:27. It says, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He created us all in his image. And what that means is that there is a way that we are similar to God, that we are like God, that is unique to us, uh, that is not shared by the rest of creation. There is something about us that is like God that is different from the rest of creation. And one of those things is just our inherent value and worth. God is the most valuable and worthy being in existence, and he always has been. And if you ever stood in his presence, there would be no denying it. This is, he is incredibly valued and has incredible worth. And because we are made like him, because we are made in his image, you share that value and you share that worth. And though you may do things uh, that you regret and things that have been done to you that, that, that you wish hadn't happened, it will not change the fact that you were made in the image of God. And and to show you how much you were worth, to show that that's true, Jesus died on a cross for your sins. He showed that you are worth dying for. So that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. So after all these things that God makes are good, he creates humankind. He looks at creation and says, now it is very good. So after all these things he creates are good, they're all good, they're all good. Oh, now it's very good. Then God says this. The Lord God said, it is 
not good. Here's the first thing God says is not good in his creation of the world. He says, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. So, he provides a solution. I will make a companion for him who corresponds to him. Now, I remember back when I was at City College, I was walking behind some girls, and I could hear what they were saying. And just as a premise, I don't make a habit of following women and listening in their conversations. But we happened to be going to the same class, and I was, you know, I, was, I could hear what they were saying. And one of them said to the other one, hey, uh, I don't believe in the Bible because the Bible says when God created a woman, he made woman as a servant for man. Now, this is a very uh, big misunderstanding of what the text says here, a misunderstanding of what the original Hebrew that this was written in has to say. This word that we see here, companion, is the word azer. And azer, um, it's often translated in other translations uh, besides this one as helper. Now, in English, helper may have a connotation of someone being a subordinate, being lower uh, than somebody else. But in the Hebrew, that's not the case. Uh, one of the reasons we know this is because God is often referred to the azer of humanity. God is the helper of humanity, and God is certainly not a subordinate. So one commentator says one a good way to describe the way this word is being used in this context would be to call it an indispensable companion because uh, what man lacks in the way that he creation in the way that he was created woman makes up for and what woman lacks in the way that she was created man is able to provide so they're able to be indispensable companions for each other but the main point the main takeaway from this uh, section of scripture right here is that you were not designed to be alone you were designed to be together when you are alone when you are isolated there is a problem it goes against our nature you will not thrive when you are alone our nature does does not is not here our nature is not to be isolated our nature is to be in Relationship And one relationship wasn't enough. God didn't just create Eve. He told Adam and Eve, he blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, Adam and Eve are, you know, most widely known for being disobedient, but here is an example where they were very happy to be obedient to God. And because of that, there are many more relationships in the world that we are able to enjoy today. God created many relationships and, and encouraged Adam and Eve to create more relationships, more human beings, because it's not good for us to be alone, because it's in our nature to be in relationship. We are by nature relational people. So, um, and I think part of that, part of being so, uh, it's so, part of the reason it's so important for us to be in relationship reflects that we were made in the image of God, because God, His nature is relational. God is one being with three persons. Three persons in one being. His very essence is relational. One way of saying it would be that he is one being with three cognitive, three sets of cognitive faculties. And he has always existed in loving relationship with the three persons in his being. So, in the same way that we, we are made like God so that if we are not in relationship, we are living in a way that is against our nature. We're like God in that we are created to be relational people. Um, and yet, 
And that's why when we're not in loving relationships, our life tends to wilt. And it's important to emphasize loving relationship because you can be in a lot of relationships, and if none of them are loving, you'll still feel very lonely. But getting back to what Naomi says, we live in a, Dr. Naomi way, we live in a culture which is out of sync with our nature. It's out of sync with our nature to have loving relationships. Now, she might disagree with the theological foundation that I laid for why we are this way, but she does say the result of our culture being out of sync with our nature is this. We live in a culture which is out of sync with our nature, and that's creating a crisis of connection, which is essentially loneliness. Her research has shown her the same thing that our U.S. Surgeon General has seen. That we are in a crisis of connection. Um, Our culture doesn't help cultivate loving relationships. Our culture promotes and incentivizes beliefs and behaviors that are detrimental to loving relationships. And so now we are lonely. And we may be, you may be asking, how did we get here? How did our culture become a type of culture that is the way that it is, that causes us to be afraid of loving relationships or move away from them or be in them and then break them apart or be in relationships but not be loving or be in relationships with people who aren't loving? What, what is it in our culture that's incentivizing this to happen? It's causing so much isolation. Well, if you think in the recent history, the first thing that might come to your mind is a quarantine, but the research shows that this was a problem before the quarantine happened. So how did we get here? How did, how did our culture become this way? So it's causing us to not be in loving relationships. Well, one of the big things that I think was a huge shift in, our, in America's culture um, dates back to the 60s and the 70s, which is the sexual revolution. Now, God created sex to be a good, 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 good thing, something to be enjoyed between a husband and wife for the purpose of being united. When you read um, about sex in the Bible, it's often accompanied with some sort of description of being united, of being made one, of being put together, of something that can't be taken apart. It's like scrambled eggs. You become one, and that's the purpose. It's, it's to create unity and closeness between a husband and a wife, and of course, it's, and so that's in one way that it can be helpful to the problem of loneliness. And another way that it can be helpful in the problem of loneliness is that, of course, it creates life. It creates lives that parents um, who are loving parents deeply, deeply, deeply love and enjoy and are connected to and are often very grateful to spend their whole lives caring for. And even when it's painful, they still care. So sex is something that's intended to be, designed to be something that can help. That's not like the, over, the, the complete answer to the loneliness problem, but it can help with that problem. It's designed for a husband and wife to create life and to be made one, to be closer, to have a more intimate relationship, which we were designed for. However, since the 60s and the 70s and the sexual revolution, our culture has made it more and more its goal to remove it from the design God created it for. To, use, to, to be able to enjoy it with anybody at any time, anywhere, uh, as long as it's not hurting anybody, which is very vague and people oftentimes don't pay attention to anyways. And uh, when, when you do that, when you 
reduce it even to something that is expressed when you're by yourself in a room with a screen and you're using thousands of other people's bodies that you don't know just to feel some physical satisfaction, it ends up being dangerous. When you use something the way it was not designed to be used, it causes problems. For example, a Subaru is great for getting to work from your home. But if you decide to use it in a way that wasn't designed, if you decide to use a Subaru to explore the deepest parts of the ocean, it's going to be very painful and very difficult and probably very lonely as well. Um, and the same way, when we take God's design for sexuality, or we dismiss it and use it however we want, use it not according to the factory manual or whatever, uh, it ends up causing a lot, a lot, a lot of loneliness. And some of you know that from firsthand experience. And so that was one big way that our culture shifted that pushed us towards isolation and relationships that are not loving and relationships that are shallow and temporary and intended just for physical pleasure, just using other people, which is not the way that we were designed. We were designed for loving, intimate, close, committed relationships. So that was one thing. Another big thing that you've probably noticed is social media has caused uh, a lot of problems with relationships. At, you know, at first glance, it kind of seems like, oh, that seems like something that could be pretty cool. You know, you're able to communicate with people that you didn't communicate with for a long time, and it can connect people in different ways. But there are some downsides to it. Like, for, for many people, it's difficult because you go on there and just like every family has this picture of them uh, in front of a barn with like the lens flare coming through and everyone's makeup is just right and for some reason someone's wearing a flannel shirt and everyone looks super happy and everybody's posting pictures of their marriage and their engagement and they're, they're getting into college and they got a new job and you're seeing all this stuff about other people's lives. People are only posting their highlight reel and you can only see their highlight reel but you can see all of your low light reel, all the difficult things going on in your life, and you say, I don't know how to relate to these people. I'm not like that. If they find out what's going on in my life, and it doesn't look like that highlight reel, they're probably going to be judgmental. They're probably not going to be around me. They're probably going to criticize me. And it would, it's, it's scary to think about being in relationship with other people. So maybe without even realizing it, we're, we become afraid to be around other people because we think their lives are so much greater than ours are. And there's this pressure because we see everybody else putting up their highlight reel for us to only show our highlight reel as well on social media and in real life, which keeps us from having close relationships, the kind of relationships where you can experience love from other people even when they see where you're struggling and, and trying to improve and, and, and hurting. And on social media, uh, as I've ta I talked about this before in a message, I kind of gave a whole message to it, but... The posts that get the that everyone sees the most are the posts that get the most engagement the most comments the most likes the most shares all that kind of stuff and the posts that get the most of them are the 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 posts that cause people to feel angry people are most likely to engage with a post and respond to a post if it makes them angry if they disagree with it I got there's someone wrong on the internet that can't happen I have to go and correct them that's what that's what those sort of posts do to people and so they go and they argue and they're completely uncharitable and insult people and all sorts of ad hominem arguments and um, and these posts get shared and uh, and so you start to get a view of the world and other people as not very nice they look nice on the outside but they're also very angry and you get all sorts of posts that go viral of people just beating people up and um, 
hating people and making fun of people and mocking people and it's like if this is what other people have like this is what relationships are like i don't know that i really want to expose myself and get out there and into a relationship because it's scary and it's hurtful and so that's been a huge uh issue in our culture is social media and the political division in our uh culture has become bigger and bigger and scarier and scarier and people are so angry and there is so much vitriol from every position towards every other position in, in politics and everything has to be i have to compare that person to hitler and i have to compare it to the holocaust and i have to find the worst possible thing about them and and it's just it's it's scary for a lot of people i don't want to be around people like that i'm not saying there's not a place for passionately proclaiming your beliefs i'm not saying that it's wrong to do that but things have gotten so berserk that it's causing us to be more and more isolated and more and more divided and more and more us versus them and and it's caused a lot of problems with loneliness and of course the quarantine as well and i'm not trying to say whether we should have or shouldn't have a quarantine but the fact that we did did have some um there were some results of that there were some things that happened because of it there was some cause and effect and and isolation of course that was the whole point of the quarantine and it made isolation something that's routine in our life and maybe for some people they became more comfortable with isolation than being in other relationships because other relationships can be kind of scary and so we find ourselves here in the midst of this lonely loneliness pandemic or epidemic and we're wondering what do we do about it is this the best way to live is there any, any way we can recover from it is there any answers is this the way life's going to be from now on am i going to be lonely what, what do we do about it? Well, the answer, and the, the, the answer is going to depend, what, what your next action step will be is going to depend on kind of where you're at in life. Because for some of you, you're struggling with loneliness, so it's really clear how this, will, this series will be, affect you. But for others of you, you might say, hey, right now, my relationships, I'm pretty satisfied with them. They're going well. And, you know, you might think, I don't know what this sermon series has for me, but, but it's definitely a sermon series for everyone. If you're, if you're doing well with your relationships, praise God. That is an amazing uh, gift from Him, and you've probably been working hard at cultivating those relationships. But I want you to look at this series from the point of view of Mother Teresa, who said this. She said, The greatest t- disease today in the West today is not tuberculosis or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine but the only cure for loneliness despair and hopelessness is love there are many people in the world who are dying for a piece of bread but there are many more dying for a little love and mother Teresa, her goal was to help people who were lonely so maybe you're doing great in relationships my hope during this sermon series is to give you tools to help people who are struggling with loneliness because you may be specially equipped right now to help some people who are in that position. And if you are lonely, we're also gonna, we're gonna be talking about some things you can do um, to improve the situation that you're in, things that God would like you to do, things that can help you, things that can help you live in sync with your nature, live the way that God created you to be. So, oh, I tried to change my page and I realized I'm still on this one. Wait, no, I was wrong. Wait, this page shouldn't be up here. And this one should, like that. What a great sermon I'm preaching. Um, I'm sure they'll have me back next week. Uh, So, 
If you are lonely, we're going to talk about what to do. Um, but today, I want to bring you a reminder. And this is an important thing to remember, whether you're lonely right now or not, because it's, there's probably going to be a time in your future when you do feel lonely, and this will be something you want to remember. And it's something you want to remember because Jesus taught that you should remember this. He said, remember this. And that's not the only reason you should remember it. One of the reasons that it's so important is because it's the very last thing he said to his disciples before he left the earth. And you can bet he knew that's what was going to be his last words, and he was very specific about what he was going to tell them. And that's why he said, remember, remember, remember what I'm going to say. Um, so, it's his final words. The band can come back up right now. And uh, Jesus was in uh, Galilee at a mountain and Jesus came up to his disciples and he said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Jesus is the one in, in charge therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you this is God's teaching Jesus is teaching to everyone who follows him these are his commands but he does not end with a command he ends with a promise that he wants you to remember. And this is what his promise is. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' final message before leaving earth is, you are not alone. When you feel alone, you are not alone. When you think you're alone, you are not alone. When somebody abandons you, you are not alone. When your parents are never satisfied with you, you are not alone. When something, someone you love dies, you're not alone. When you are struggling so hard against temptation, you're not alone. When you're struggling so hard against temptation and you give in, you are not alone. Jesus didn't say, remember, I am with you when you're doing a good job. He didn't say, remember, I am with you when you feel like I'm with you, when you believe I'm with you. He said, I am with you always. He is always with you. He is always with you. He is with you now. And he's not just with you, like on the other side of the room, looking at you. He is close to you. And one of the ways we know that is because of how well he knows you. And where we learn how well he knows you is in an ancient Hebrew song, written by an ancient Hebrew songwriter thousands of years ago. Um, it's called Psalm 139. And I just want to read you the majority of this passage so you can hear how close God is to you. How, how much you are on his mind and how much you are in his heart. It says this, O Lord, you examine me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. Even from far away, you understand my motives. You carefully observe me when I travel or when I lie down to rest you are aware of everything I do. Certainly, my tongue does not frame a word without you, O Lord. 
being thoroughly aware of it. You squeeze me in from behind and in front. You place your hand on me. Listen, God's presence is so closely wrapped around you, it is squeezing you. God is close enough to put his hand on you. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee to escape your presence? If I were to ascend to heaven, you would be there. If I were to sprawl out in Sheol, meaning the grave, there you would be. If I were to fly away in the wings of the dawn and settle on the other side of the sea, even there your hand would guide me. Your right hand would grab hold of me. If I were to say, certainly, the darkness will cover me and the light will turn to night all around me, even the darkness is too is not too dark for you to see, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. No matter how dark your life gets, God is with you. No matter how bad things get, God is there. He can see clearly when you cannot see clearly, and he is with you through it all. Certainly, you made my mind and my heart. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because your deeds are awesome and amazing. You knew me thoroughly. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and sewed together in the depths of the earth. All the days ordained for me were recorded in your scroll before one of them came into existence. God knew what you would be like before you even existed. How difficult it is for me to fathom your thoughts about me, O oh God. How vast is their sum total. If I tried to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Think about how many thoughts God has about you. He is always thinking about you. He knows everything about you. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly, and he is with you through it all. He is not going anywhere. When you feel alone, you are not alone. He is with you. And you might feel like, great, you're with me. But could you do something about the pain I'm going through? Are you just standing there watching me suffer? Why, why don't you change something? Why don't you do something about it, God? Listen, God is a master of taking painful things and using them for good it is the central story in the greater story of christianity that jesus the only innocent man had the worst possible thing could happen to him he was judged as guilty when he was innocent he was mocked beaten spit upon crucified and god took that and used it for the greatest good your forgiveness and my forgiveness if you would ask him for it so that you can spend forever with him free from the pain that you're going through right now. I don't know how God will use what you're going through right now. Here's what I know. He's with you. And he'll be with you till the end. And he's not going anywhere. And he's got a good plan. Trust him. And know that he's with you. You can believe. You can have the greatest relationships in the world. And if you believe you are lonely, if you believe that you're alone, you'll feel lonely. That's why Jesus says, remember, I am with you always. You are not alone. Even in the middle 
of a loneliness epidemic. Jesus is with you. That's what I want you to take with you this week. We're going to talk about some more things to do next week. You might want to bring a friend who you might know is struggling with some loneliness. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you so much that you're always with us. For those who are feeling lonely, would you just give them a supernatural sense right now of your presence, a healing sense, that they would remember right now that you are with them. You are with them through it all. That you would comfort their heart and that your peace would fill it because you are the prince of peace and where you are, there is peace. And they'd have peace in the midst of this loneliness. I just ask for this time, God, this, this series, as we're talking through this, that you would bring more people who are lonely, that we would be a church that comforts them and is your presence to them when they doubt that your presence is there. We thank you for the good things that are going to happen this year. We ask that you bless 2024. A lot of people are worried about 2024, God, but here's what we know today. You're going to be with us through it all. You will be on the throne the whole way through, and you will be near to our hearts. I pray that that would encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.